This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. We are right in the middle of a three-week series on worship. And last week, we really took some time to kind of open the conversation and, and, and really just establish something, and, and that's that worship is extremely important. Uh, I'd go so far as to say worship is an issue of life or death. You know, I don't know about you, but there's been some moments in my life in, that have become defining. I can remember July 14, 2011. July 14, 2011, I was in the middle of an operating room with my wife, who was nine months pregnant, sitting behind a curtain, and the room was quiet with some soft music that we brought in that was playing over the speakers. The doctors were talking to each other as they worked on my wife. And then, all of a sudden, the room burst into a cry. You know, it's remarkable that that sound, that three months later would be completely annoying. Right? In that moment, brought tears to my eyes. You know what happened? when my little girl was born, was that God gave me an invitation. It was an invitation I'm sure He had given me before. It was an invitation to rearrange some priorities, to change, to be a different person, not because I would try harder, but because He is alive in me. And something happened when she was born that provoked me to respond to God. I can remember really when we brought her home the first night that we had her back in our house. I went upstairs into my office and I sat down on the couch that was in my office and I cried. I just sobbed. And the reason I did was because as God was reshaping those priorities in those early moments, I realized how much I had missed that had come before me. You know, really, all of life, every part of life is a response. All of life is a response. You might even be so uh, inclined to think that you chose to get up and come to church today. Now, that's what many of us would say. You know, I, I, I decided on Sunday I would get up and go to church. But you realize that really this church is here because at the beginning of 2010, sitting at a stoplight, God invited me into a journey that led to the birth of this church. And along the way, we've invited other people to be a part of this. We believe that that invitation is very important and really 
you showed up today. Not because you chose to, but because you responded to an invitation. That's really what life is. Life is us responding. And the big question that has to emerge when we realize that, the big question is, what are you responding to? Who are you responding to? Because we all have that person that when something happens, we call them first. It might be that you call your spouse first. It might be that you have a parent or a best friend Who are you responding to? You see, as we look at worship, I love what the great writer William Foster or Richard Foster said of worship. He said, Richard Foster in the book, The Celebration of Discipline, said this Worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. Worship is our response to the love that the Father has so generously poured over us. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. I didn't do what was right. I didn't earn any relationship with Him. As a matter of fact, He pursued me, and if I have a relationship, it's only because I've responded to Him. And that response is worship. Last week we looked at a conversation that Jesus had with a woman at a well in John 4. This woman had been married multiple times, had been living with a man that she was not married to. She was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. And their conversation was not about her sin but about worship. And throughout their conversation, the idea emerges that some of us worship partly. And some of us worship completely. And we realized last week that if we're going to worship God completely, complete worship is complete surrender. It's looking at God and saying, my plan is busted and broke. Yours is perfect. I surrender. You know, if we're going to think about that, especially when we define worship as responding to God, here's something I think that is, important for us to deal with, that if we're going to measure how complete our worship is, if we're going to measure how complete our worship is, all we need to do is to examine the distance between God's command and our compliance. Because the greater the distance between the time God says do it and the time we actually follow through, the more incomplete our worship really is. Let's just think about it in the context of the book of the Bible we just studied, the book of Jonah. 
You see, in the book of Jonah, the Bible opens up by telling us that God speaks to Jonah. Let me ask you a question. Does God force Jonah to do anything? No. But does Jonah do what God asked him to do? Yeah. Eventually. But when we tell the story of Jonah, as we read through the Bible, do we see the story of a hero who obeyed God or a rebel who ran from him? The reason Jonah is presented to us in such a broken way is because there is a great distance between God's command and his compliance. I mean, that's the way it works for us too, isn't it? I mean, we come in to church realizing my life is a wreck. I need you, Jesus. We come in hurting in need of comfort. We come in broken in need of God to put us back together. And we pray that prayer of confession. God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need you. I know that I'm, I'm broken. I know that I'm all, God, but I need you. And then we walk out and we tell God, I know that your plan is probably perfect, but I'd like to do it my own way. I know that you want me to give, God, but you don't understand. You don't understand. I need 100% of the money I make because it requires 100% of the money to pay all my bills, God. You don't understand. The greater the distance between God's command and our compliance, the more incomplete our worship becomes. And I think that as we take a step into 1 Samuel, one of the most worshipful stories in all the Bible, as we look at a wife named Hannah. The book of Samuel opens by telling us about a family where there are two wives. I don't know about you guys. If there's any men in here, it's tough enough for me to keep up with my one wife. I can't imagine being the guy who's married to two of them, right? All right but that's what we find as we step into the book of Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 1, we find out that Hannah was barren. That she was not able to have a child. But the other wife was, and she had children, and the husband doesn't seem to have a favorite. He seems to be inclined to both of them, but we understand culturally that in those days, children were not just prized possessions like they are today. Children were necessities. Because they helped the family run. Especially young men and sons. And Hannah was broken because she was barren. To make matters worse, the other wife, who most likely contained a little bit of jealousy 
in the relationship, like to make fun of her. And we know because of a conversation that's recorded between her and her husband that Hannah had entered a time of depression. That the absence of a child had broken her down. And so we find her in verse 10. Read along with me. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. Weeping bitterly, she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all his days, all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. For Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. There's something powerful in that moment for us to see. You see, when Hannah encountered a problem, we get to see where she ran to. Think about that with me. Where do you run? When a problem comes up in your life. Where are you running when there's a problem? Do you run to a particular friend? Do you run to a parent that has always given you advice? Do you run to someone? Do you run to Google? (laughs) Start doing some research. Where do you run? You see, because in the middle of her problem, we find Hannah on her face in the middle of the temple worshiping. You see, where we run when a problem comes up shows us who we think has the power to change our situation. If you're a wife in here, and your first inclination is to run to your husband when there's a problem in your life. Really, I would guess in your heart, most wives are going to be saying, hey, you know what? My husband has the power to change this situation. But we don't see that in Hannah. Hannah's in church, worshiping, God. And we see something in that moment that's important that Hannah was willing to worship God in the middle of her problem. See, far too many of us think that worship is relegated to the end of the cycle when the problem has been solved and we can walk into church and say, Thank you, God. Thank you for what you did. But that's not at all what we see Hannah doing. We see Hannah confessing that God is the only one that can solve the problem. And I don't know if you've been there. Many of us have. Some of us have not yet. But if you haven't been there, it's coming. You're going to face a problem that is so big that only God can solve it. And if you keep running to people and things, 
problems and expecting them to fix a problem that only God can, really you end up responding to them and not to God. And we see Hannah recognizing that in the middle of her problem, only God, and so she responds to what? To God. And she ends up in worship on the floor crying and she prays out, cries out to God. God, if you would just come, see my misery, and in compassion, give me a son. I will give him back to you. Isn't that the prayer that really all of us parents should pray? God, if you'll give me a child, I'll give it back to you. Because that's exactly what Hannah did. Hannah responded to God in the middle of her problem. And there's something interesting that happens after Hannah prays. Now, like I said earlier, we can guess by the evidence in the scriptures that Hannah was most likely depressed. We know that she wasn't eating. Classic sign of depression. We know that her face was frowning. It was evident that she was sad by her face because her husband pointed that out. But I want you to see that something happens when Hannah goes in the midst of her problem and responds to God. Read with me 1 Samuel 1, 18 and 19. Then she went away and what ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Now for most of us, Getting to church is a 10, 15 minute drive. But in those days, going to worship at the temple was a significant journey. And Hannah leaves that day having prayed about her problem, but having gotten something from God. And there's something for us to see there because it's important. And all of you, if you ever respond to the voice of God, are going to experience this. You see, she left with a promise from God. And a promise is in the middle between our problem and God's deliverance. You see, when God promises us that he's going to do something, he has not yet done that thing. And most of us, in the middle of that tension, sit back and look at God and say, you suck, God. You suck. You told me, God, that if I would give, you said if I would give, you would take care of me financially. And look. Looks like we're going to run out of money. You told me, God, if I would forgive, give grace, and not judge, that I could have healthy friendships and make a positive impact in the life of somebody else. You told me, God, that if we would put you at the center of our relationship, our marriage would get better. 
You see, the tension between God's promise and God's deliverance often confuses us, but it didn't, Hannah. Because she got up from praying with the promise from God, and she walked out and ate. Because that promise was enough. It tells us that not only did she walk out and eat and her face was no longer sad, but the next morning before her family packed up and left, she brought them back and worshipped. Think about that with me. She doesn't have a son yet. God has not done anything except give her a promise. Nothing. Her situation literally is the same, except that she's heard from God. And she is willing to worship God in the middle of his promise. Hannah shows us that in the middle of that tension, as God speaks and God is going to work, that we need to respond to the heart of God by turning to Him. If you're like me and you try to guess how a story is going to end, you probably have already guessed. God didn't lie to Hannah. She had a baby boy. She named him Samuel. She took care of that son until he was a small boy. The age where she could go back to that promise that she made laying on the floor in the temple years before. God, if you would just give me a son, I'll give him back to you. You know, earlier, we said that the measure of how complete our worship is, is the distance between God's command and our compliance. You know, Jonah is a bad example of that, but Abraham is a great example of that. As you read through the beginning of the book of Genesis, we find that God says, Abraham, leave your family, go to this land you've never seen, and I will bless you. You'll be prosperous because of that decision. And Abraham got up and left. He said, Abraham, I know you're old. But you're going to have a boy, even though you've never fathered a child. And Abraham believed, and years later, he would have a child. And when that child was born, God spoke to Abraham and said, take that boy and kill him. This promise that you've been waiting on, I know it's here, but let's see if you've been following me for a promise or the promise has provoked you to follow me. Let's see which one it is. Are you serving the promise or are you serving the God of the promise? And Abraham responded immediately. And he took his boy, put him on an altar, and as he was getting ready to kill his son, God provided a sacrifice. And we see the same level of response in the heart of Hannah. As she made a promise to God, when the boy was able, she returns 
back to the temple. Finds the great Eli, the prophet who resided over the temple. And here's their conversation at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 1. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Think about that with me. The thing that she had waited on for so long finally showed up. And what did she do with the present that God had given her? She responded to God. Hannah worshipped God when he gave her the present. You see, that provoked her to respond to God. And it didn't make her think about how worthy she was or how good she was or how much God loved her. No, the, the gift that God gave her was something that she understood belonged to God. And she was going to be faithful to what God would ask of her. So what is the correct response for us? How should we respond to God? I'm going to give you three things that we can do to respond to the heart of God. The first thing that we can do is sing. The first way that we can respond to God is to sing to God. Now last week, as we started this conversation on worship and really tried to examine what worship is, I told you, if you think that all of worship is just simply singing at church, you've missed it. But the Bible over and over and over again invites us to sing. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm 96, 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise His name Proclaim his salvation day after day after day. Sing to the Lord a new song. I told you last week, the Bible says that over 30 times. What does it say to sing a new song? And why are we the kind of people that always want to sing an old song? I want to sing that song. I remember that moment. I remember that moment. It was so important to me. And I want to sing that song again. But why does the Bible tell us to sing a new song? See, if worship really is a response to God, shouldn't we be responding to God right now? Really? Shouldn't we be responding to what God is doing right now? See, there's a difference between remembering and responding. When we want to sing old songs, often we're remembering. But the Bible invites us over and over and over again to sing a new song. Because in that new song, we have a new opportunity to respond to God. Even an old song 
can be new if we choose to respond to God in that moment, to what he's doing in our lives right now. The second thing that we can do to respond to God is to lift our hands. Now, I know some of y'all, y'all come from churches where you stand up and sit down, stand up and sit down, stand up and sit down, get on your knees, stand up and sit down, right? I understand that. Some of you look around the room and the folks that got hands raised in the middle of worship, you're going, what in the world are they doing? I ain't never seen anybody do that. And then sometimes they actually get in front of you and they're raising their hands in front of you and you're like, I can't even see the words. Can you put your hands down, please? I mean, you know, the Bible actually tells us in several places to lift our hands. Look at what the Bible says in one, Psalm 134. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Why? Why would we lift up hands? My friend Jonathan in the back brought... Um, a bunch of rifles today. We're going to demonstrate this. Um, we're going to put 10, 10 people on this side with um, some assault weapons and 10 people on this side with some assault weapons. And if you're in the middle, you're probably going to do what I would do. You would be like this, no, no, please, please don't shoot, right? Because what does that mean? Surrender, right? All throughout the world, in any combat scenario, when somebody presents themselves with both hands raised, it is a sign of surrender. You see, sometimes what we're doing with our body needs to be aligned with what's happening on the inside. And we surrender. We hit that moment where we go, God, I've been blowing it. I've been doing it my own way. I'm tired of running from you. I surrender. And it is appropriate. It is correct to respond our hands, to respond by lifting up our hands. The other thing that I would tell you that is the correct response for us is to move. It's to move. If you're going to respond to Jesus, you're going to have to do something different. You can't respond if you're not willing to change. Jesus said it this way in John 14. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The Bible doesn't say there, if you love me, you'll sing louder. If you'll love me, you'll raise your hands all the time. No, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, when I speak to you, you'll move. Now, I coached for a few years. One of the things I learned after my first few years of coaching was that within the first few weeks, you had to teach your players to respond to your voice. They had to be able to hear you. Because if they couldn't hear me, if they couldn't understand my instructions and my directions, we got in the middle of a game and it was going to be critical for them to hear me. 
Because if they can't respond to what I tell you, we're not going to be able to execute. For us, as people who have dedicated our lives to following Jesus, if we want to be the kind of people that completely worship God, if we want to be the kind of people that worship completely, we have got to hear his voice and respond to it. Because worshiping God halfway leads to half-life. You see, the promises of God all hinge on us following him. When Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it completely, that's not a promise that is just hinging on the fact that God is going to paint your life perfect if you do whatever you want. I came that you might have life and have it completely if you will worship me completely. So we'll get ready to end. I want to again go to Romans 12. Look at this with me. The Apostle Paul begins this chapter by saying this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasing, and perfect will. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's worship. And the Bible tells us that if we will respond to God, God will continue to lead us. This is for somebody that's here. There's a big distance between where God has already spoken for you to go and where you have refused to go. And you keep praying, God, I want to know what you want for my life. And God is never going to lay before you a road map. He's not going to be able to lead you until you take the next step. And it's a step he's already told you to take. That's what this verse shows us. That if we're willing to respond to God in holistic worship, to be a living sacrifice, what happens? We're able to test and approve his will. I will know where he is leading me. But when you refuse to follow him, that great distance grows. The worship in your life begins to decline. And the promises that God wants to give you, life, peace, joy, all begin to fall apart. Because worship is a critical issue. It is an issue of life or death. Let's pray.
God, today, Lord, we just look to your heart and we ask you to come right now, God, and come into our lives in a, in a new way. Some of us today, we need to be challenged. Some of us need to be confronted. And God, many of us need to be convicted because we've not responded to you the way that we should. But today, God, we acquiesce from all of our work. We back up from trying to do it our own way and we look at you, God. And we ask you to come. So God, as we look into your heart, we just confess that we want to respond to you. So with nobody looking around, everybody, eyes closed, let me ask you a question today. Is there anybody here you would say, hey, I have not been responding to God the way that I want to. And I want to be that person that responds to the voice of God. If that's you, raise your hand right now. I want to respond to God. I haven't been. Is there anybody here that would say that today? I've not been giving my all to God. So God, today we just give you that. And we ask you to come. Encourage us and challenge us in the name of Jesus, we pray.